and keeping and bringing forth truths and bringing forth life. It's because it's not a dead word. It's the, the living uh, word of life that is uh, given down from God. And, and it's not life that was just given 2,000 years ago, but because of the Holy Spirit of God that is with us here today, here this morning, the word of God uh, can become alive in a, in a new and a sparkling way again as we receive it into our hearts. I was reading through my personal devotions through the, the book of uh, Second Kings. I enjoy reading through Second Kings as those stories are so uh, familiar and, and it's interesting seeing God work in, in the life of his people. We can see ourselves, we can see other people today as we uh, look and, and um, it becomes alive. It has meaning, it has lessons there for us to learn from. And I was reading the familiar story of Naaman, uh, the, the leper Naaman, a Syrian, and Elisha the prophet. And as I was reading this story, uh, certain things started popping out to me. And I said, you know, there's a sermon here. And I wrote a few of the, the uh, observations down and laid it aside. And it was time to preach. And I, I came back to that and uh, um, studied the, book of the, the uh, story of Naaman. So you can turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 5, and we're going to look at lessons from the story of Naaman. We'll be looking at the entire chapter and um, seeing how, what for blessing we can get out of this. Some of the, uh, probably the theme that, you could probably come up with different themes of this story, but probably what stood out to me particularly this time was the, uh, the thoughts of men and the misunderstandings that we will see relate in this story and how that just I see that just coming alive in my own life and the lives around me but we have a setting here in verses 1 through 2 1 and 2 it says now Naaman captain of the host of the king of Syria was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance into Syria he was also a mighty man in valor but he was a leper so think about Naaman a little bit Naaman is the captain in the Syrian host he is, um, he is a, a popular. He appears to be wealthy, respected. Why? Because he had success in fighting his king's battles. He was a war hero. hero. And uh, it says God gave him deliverance under the Syrian. It appears that he may have been physically strong. Possibly he was even a giant, that of a man that was of, of unusual stature and strength. Uh, where we get that mighty man in valor. Either way, he was very capable in fighting. But the last five words, but he was a leper, affected everything. No matter his wealth, his respect, his honor, everything, everything was tainted by the fact that he had this awful, incurable um, disease that brought a separation between him and all other people. Uh, normally, a person of that um, ability and stature would have had many, many admirers, which he did. And I think they would have loved to be close to him and, and uh, uh, just be in his presence. But with his leprosy, all of a sudden that was taken away. Uh, his most ardent admirers did not admire his leprosy, did not want it. And, of course, there would have been a separation around him because of the... Um, that dreaded disease, nobody else wanted it. Um, they did not want to become in contact with him. The other part of the setting here 
is in verse 2. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. So the contrast here is great. First, she is a girl. Second, she is young. Third, she is not a free person. She has been uh, captured. She is a slave out of the land of Israel. And she is his, Naaman's wife's little servant. So there we have the two people that starts out the central of this, of this um, story. We learn a little bit more about this maid. One, it appears that she does not have leprosy. She has her health. She has the one thing that, uh, that Naaman would so dearly have. She has her health. And she is not an idol worshiper. Rather, she believes in the one true God. So there's a, a starting difference between these two. But they are going to converge and they're going to meet. Um, there's going to be a, quite an impact in Naaman's life because of this little miss. Verse 3, And she said unto her mistress, Would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus saith the maid that is of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria saith, Go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, and six thousand pieces of gold, and ten changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter is coming to thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. And it came to pass, when the king of Israel had read the letter, that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive, that this man does send on me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore, consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. So the story here starts out with this message that the little maid tells her mistress. It's a startling message that if... Naaman would only go back to the prophet in Israel. He could be healed of his leprosy. Where did this little girl get this? You know, I think, I don't know how old she was. Let's say she was 10 years old. Is there anybody that's 10 years old here this morning? Wait, raise your hand if you're 10. There we got a 10-year-old. Any more 10-year-olds? There's another one. I don't know. Maybe she was. But let's, think she, let's say she was 10. Can you imagine you 10-year-olds being captured and carried away to a uh, let's say Canada and never go to see your parents again what an awful place to be to be a little girl and I could think she could be quite sad about that I'm sure she was quite sad about it but it seems that she had uh, at least dealt with her sadness enough to be useful to her mistress seems like she was um, yeah she was doing her job but not only that she did not become bitter against her captors she looked at her captor, which was Naaman, and, and she pitied him. She felt sorry for him. She realized that he was in a, in a bad state. He was dying of leprosy. Thus, or at least he was, he was going to die. And she thought back to her home, and she thought about the stories maybe her mother and father told her and said about Elisha. Elisha the prophet did this, and Elisha the prophet did that. He healed this boy. He raised this little boy from, to life. He, he uh, fed the prophet. The, 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 uh, he did all these things. Elisha was well known in Israel. And in her mind, the little girl knew that Elisha the prophet could do anything because he believed in the one true God. 
And in her mind, she looked at Naaman. She said, you know, if Naaman would go to Elisha the prophet, he would heal him. And she acted on those thoughts, and she said to her mistress, this is, this is what could happen. And we don't quite know how the story went, but somehow from the little girl to the mistress, it seems someone else went and told Naaman. And Naaman went and told the king. Now, have you children ever played Whisper Down the Lane? Isn't that kind of a funny game? Right? So you start down here and you whisper all the way down the lane. And how many times does the message always be exactly the same when it comes to the other end? Is that how it works? What happens? Somebody tell me what happens. What happens to the message? Yes, Damien. It gets mixed up, doesn't it? Now, did you notice in this story that's what happened? It got mixed up. So when the little girl said the right thing, she said the truth. She said that if you would go to Elisha the prophet, then he would be able to cure you from leprosy. But by the time the king got a hold of it, and by the time he wrote the letter, he wrote the letter to the king of Israel and said the king of Israel would heal. He got the wrong person. So Naaman goes and he gets everything ready. He gets big gifts. And the little girl hadn't said anything about gifts, but he takes silver, he takes gold, he takes clothing as a gift to be healed of leprosy. And he goes rushing on down to the king of Israel and gives him this letter. And the king of Israel is upset. He rips his clothes because he says, first of all, he could not, he is not able to heal leprosy. He's just a king. And he gets this misunderstanding. He thinks the Syrians are making fun of him. He thinks they're trying to provoke him to battle. And he doesn't want to fight with them because he usually gets beat by them. And he's upset. So here sits the king. Now, kings shouldn't be sitting on the thrones with their clothes torn, but exactly what he was doing. He's his clothes all ripped up. They're sitting on his throne. And Naaman, I think, he's confused. I don't know if he could even understand the language, but he's confused. He certainly could understand that instead of getting healed from leprosy, he had now gone and done made the king of Israel mad. So there he's sitting, and what do you do? Do you turn around and go home? Do you? What do you do? And uh, while this confusion is happening... We go to verse 8. And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king saying, Wherefore, oh wait, I want to make a point. Sorry about that. I do that. Get into the story so much. But there's a point. There's a lesson here. So there was a truth that the, the uh, little girl had said. The truth was that there was a prophet in Israel. There was a God in Israel that had the power over leprosy. But this truth got and reached the, the ears of a rich and powerful and a proud king and a proud captain. And the result was that the truth was confused. And it brought offense. It brought confusion. And that was the first point that I got out of this is that truth must be received with a humble, humble heart. We must listen carefully to the truth so that we do not confuse it. So that we rightly understood it. See... Uh, so much of what we hear is um, is affected by the way we think, by who we are. See, Naaman and the king were used to seeing things that took a lot of money and took a lot of power 
to make it happen. They weren't used to seeing a God who could do things. They didn't have the faith of this little girl. So when they heard the truth that this little girl said, they mixed it all up. And they thought if something big and powerful was going to happen, you'd have to go to the king of Israel to make it happen. That's not what the little girl said. The little girl said you need to go to the prophet in Samaria to see this happen. But they were confused. But thankfully, God interviewed, Elisha intervened. And it says, when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses, with his chariot, and he stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth and went away, and behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Parfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Okay, so we have this uh, confusion, and here comes this messenger, and the messenger is from Elisha. And it's from the prophet of Israel. And I think also the light bulb come along in Naaman's head. Oh, the little girl said it was the prophet. And he um, gets excited. Um, he gets in his chariot. Now think of his chariot. I believe it was probably a pretty chariot. I think of Naaman, although he was a leper, he had wealth. So he was probably in fancy clothes. He had attendants. He had slaves that were all around him that were taking care of him. So he had this um, train of followers, this procession, this, uh, you ever see the, the President of the United States? One time I was out in a long jump years ago and I was, um, the, the traffic stopped. It was shut down, no explanation at all. And it was back when George W. Bush was running for his second term in office. And here comes the President's motorcade up through this road. First there was helicopters. And then there was I think there was a motorcycle, bunch of motorcycles in front of him. And then there was that black limousine. And you never saw, and there was a big bus. And you don't know where the president was. He could have been in the, the, the limousine or he could have been in the bus. And behind him was a whole bunch of police. That's what you call processional. That's what powerful people do. That's what presidents do. Well, that's how Naaman was. He come, and I don't know how many people, how many soldiers he had with him. And he comes rushing up to Elisha's house. Ooh. And he uh, sends a messenger, uh, Naaman's here, and he wants to be healed of his uh, leprosy. By this humble little house, everything's quiet. And finally, Greek, comes this, obviously this slave out, Gehazi, possibly Gehazi. And he says, uh, you know, go down to the Jordan here and wash seven times, and you will be clean. And he goes back in the house. <coughs> All of, think of Naaman as one of the big hot balloons, you know, and he, all his pride and pomp, and he's offended. It's almost like the messenger, what I was thinking about, maybe it felt like the messenger came out and said, you know, you stink, go wash. I don't know if that's what, how you felt, but he was offended. He was, he, notice what it says. It says, behold, I thought, and that's what key verse I want you to think about. See, Naaman had built in his mind how this was going to be. He had said, this is how the prophet's going to heal me. He's going to come out 
And he's going to stand and he says, Oh God, would you please cleanse Naaman the leper? He would raise his hand and all of a sudden he would be healed. That was what he was building in his mind. This prophet, I don't know what he thought a prophet would look like. Probably long beard and maybe leather clothes. And, and he, was really gonna, he was really looking forward to this. So he was let down. He was offended that he would have to go. And not only that, the Jordan River was not all that fancy. It's like a muddy creek. You want me to go to that muddy creek? The rivers at home were much nicer. And he responds in disappointment. He responds in anger. And he slaps his horses and he takes off. He is angry. And I think that was the second lesson I had is, is I need to be careful about what I think. I need to be careful about what is running through this mind, about the imaginations of my heart, about the, um, when I build a picture, oh my, you know, have you ever had uh, children, have you ever had a time that, you know, something uh, exciting is going to happen, and, and, oh, this afternoon, you're going to go up to the park, and we're going to just have a wonderful time, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, and you get this big thing, in your mind, you're going to go play over here, you're going to play do that, we're going to do all this with all our friends, and then you come to dad and we want to do that, and he says, no. You know, you're not going to do that. You're going to have to stay here beside me. What happens? <sighs> Just like Naaman, we get angry. We get disappointed. And you know, us adults can do that. We build in our mind an expectation of something. And when those expectations are not met, we become disappointed, we become angry. And I had to say, you know what? When he said, behold, I thought, that is something I need. Be careful. You know, behold, I thought. Uh, just relax. Do, lay that down. Behold, I thought. The danger of lofty thoughts, the danger of setting up yourselves. Romans 12, 3 says, for I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. There's the answer, that we may think humbly, think soberly about ourselves. We can think great and grand thoughts about God and his power and how good he is when it's about ourselves. Okay, so we have a disaster. We had all this stuff happen. Everything went wrong up to this point. Naaman is heading back to Syria. He's still a leper. Verse 13. We have someone come to the rescue. It's not the king. It's not even Elisha. Rather, it's someone lowly. Someone a little like that little servant girl. It's, Nathan, it's Naaman's slaves. His helpers. His servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father... If the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather than when he said to thee, Wash and be clean? Then he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh came again likened to the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. So we see these slaves, most likely, these servants, were thinking clearly. Their mind had not been exalted with Naaman's. They could see that this was a tremendous opportunity 
for Naaman. They could see his foolishness in getting angry and running away. And they spoke up. And they spoke to Naaman. And you know what? They got through to him. Naaman was wise in that way. That he listened. He listened even. He first he listened to the little maid. And then he listened to his servants. And it was to his tremendous benefit. He said, you came prepared to give a tremendous amount of wealth to buy your leprosy. And if wealth would not have been the answer, but you would have been required to do some kind of, like, you know, go fight a battle or anything like that, you would have done it because that's the kind of man you are. So why is it so difficult for you to simply obey and go wash and be clean? Naaman thought about that. He knew their truth, and he listened. And he got down, down out of that chariot, that fancy chariot. He took off those fancy clothes. He went down over the bank of the Jordan River. He went down into that water, down, down inside, in the water, seven times. One, two, three, four, five. Six, he still had leprosy. Nothing changed. But the prophet had not said six times. He said seven. He went down the seventh time. And he comes back up. And that ugly skin, that white skin, that diseased skin was gone. And his skin looked like the skin of a little child. Uh, Curtis Curtis can you show me your hand look around look at that Curtis look at his look at his skin little children's skin is really neat my skin doesn't quite look that way I got whiskers here and blemishes and scars but it literally says that layman's skin it was so changed that it did not look like an adult skin. Rather, it looked like fresh, new children's skin. A total healing. His leprosy is, was completely eradicated. Not a remnant of left. It was a total miracle. Can you imagine the joy in Naaman as he just looked at his skin? Well, there was another lesson I saw here. There's a powerful lesson. You may have thought about this one already. But you know, leprosy is a lot like sin. Leprosy and sin have a lot in common. Leprosy destroys us. It brings death. Sin destroys us and brings death. But Jesus came to provide a way of salvation. To provide that we can be healed from the leprosy of sin. Jesus sends his messenger. He sent his messenger in the word of God. He sends his messengers through the servants of God who preach the gospel. He sends his messengers through parents. He sends his messenger that if you have the leprosy of sin, that you need to be washed and be clean. Go wash and be clean. It's very simple. Jesus himself does not come and strike his hand over the place and say, be clean. But he sends his messengers in the word of God. And he sends us with a simple message that you need to wash and be clean. No amount of money, 
No amount of prestige, no amount of ability is any use in this. It's useless. No amount of, uh, of physical ability is useful. The only thing that's useful is obedience to the message. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That is the way to be healed from the plague of leprosy of sin. You know, mankind has not changed from Naaman. There are many in this world that are trying to do great things to earn their way into heaven. There are many religions that teach great sacrifice and the doing of great things to earn eternal life. But they're all false religions and they're not the way to eternal life because there is no way to get to eternity but through Jesus Christ. To believe in Jesus. There is only one way to be cleansed from the leprosy of sin and it is the same way that Naaman went and that is the way of humility and death to self. We need to get down out of our chariot of self-righteousness. We need to get down to the foot of the cross. We need to get down on our knees to find that place of deliverance and healing. We need to leave behind our wealth, our ability, our prestige, our self-righteousness to receive healing, miraculous healing. Because when we have been healed, we'll be like Naaman and realize that we have done nothing to earn it, nothing to receive it. Rather, it's been a tremendous gift of God, and we will be so thankful. Uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 4. Jesus referenced the story of Naaman. And uh, we could read the entire part, but I think I'm going to just, just jump to where he says. He says, verse 27, And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them were cleansed, saved Naaman the Syrian. So I want you to think about the, uh, the fact that... Uh, uh, leprosy was a uh, prevalent disease through that area and and think of this story this story was known at, by the king it was known by Gehazi it was known by who know how many people there in Israel so it would have it would have spread that Elisha the prophet did something miraculous again and he healed Naaman the leper the Syrian Jesus says only one leper was healed by Naaman only one and I mean by, by Elisha, only one leper. And he's making the point that there were many lepers. And I believe it's not too far to infer or believe that if another leper had said in, in Israel, would have thought about this and said, you know, Naaman came and he was healed. Why could that leper not have gone to Elisha and say, you know, I kind of would like the same thing. I would like to be healed. I believe that you have the power to heal me. I believe that that, that man could have found um, healing at the hand of Elisha through the power of God. And the point I see in, in that is that um, it's not enough to realize that God has done a work in someone else's life or God did a mighty work in, in the New Testament through Jesus Christ or God did a mighty work 
in Elisha, through Elisha, in, in the life of Naaman this morning, as we're reading. But brothers and sisters, God wants to do a mighty work here today. Right? Do you believe that? He wants to do something in our lives today. But He needs people that believe, that have faith, that take God at His word and step out in faith and receive it, that are humble enough to get down out of our chariots, down into the river, and obey. Whatever that might mean. But I believe that God is looking to continue to do miracles here today. And He doesn't just want one from a faraway country, but He wants you and I to come and receive. And Jesus was saying the danger of growing up in a spiritually um, culture among the prophet, when we're the next door to the prophet, that we may miss it, that we may not receive it because it's so close to home. We don't see the wonder of it. And I don't want any of us to miss that this morning. Rather that we would believe and we would receive and we would obey, just like Naaman the Syrian did. I could uh, belabor that the need of humility to receive the truth in 1 Corinthians 1, it talks about the foolishness of the gospel. Um, the, the preaching of the gospel is foolishness to the Greeks. It's, um, it's a stumbling block to the Jews and how that, that humility is needed to receive it. But I am going to uh, keep moving here. Let's go back to 1 Kings chapter 5 and uh, follow the story again a bit. Verse 15 we see that Naaman truly is a changed man. More than just his skin was affected, his heart was affected. Naaman returned to the man of God, and he and all his company is coming back, and he's coming back a total different man. He's no longer angry. He's broken. He's healed. And he stands before me and said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. But he said, As the Lord liveth before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. And Naaman said, Shall there not, then I pray thee, be given to thy servant two mules burden of earth? For thy servant will henceforth offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto other gods, but unto the Lord. In this thing the Lord pardon thy servant, that when thy master goeth into the house of Ramon to worship there, he leaneth on my hand, I bow myself in the house of Ramon. When I bow myself in the house of Ramon, the Lord pardon thy servant in this thing. And he said unto him, Go in peace. So he departed from him a little way. I don't understand everything in this passage, but I do understand one thing is that um, Naaman was a changed man. He no longer believed in Ramon. He believed in the Lord. He knew God was God, that no one else could have healed him from his leprosy. And he, um, he not only was healed of leprosy, he was no longer um, idol worshiper, but rather believed in God. We also notice here, that um, Elisha refused the money. There was a tremendous amount of wealth that Naaman had brought with him that he would have he would have given everything to Elisha willingly. In fact, he was trying to give it. He was urging it. And we don't. I don't understand all the reasons of why Elisha did not receive it, but he he refused it. Maybe uh, what I took out of it is that Elisha. I. I, I believe, I think we can infer, we can know that Elisha knew that he was only a 
prophet of God, that the power to heal the leprosy had nothing to do with him, but it was a gift of God. And he was not going to charge for the gift of God. And I, the lesson I got out of that is that, you know, when we have received the gift of God, we have been born again. We want to tell others about, not for any gain to ourselves, but because we have been so blessed. We, we, it's just like sharing a gift. We freely have we received and freely we give because of the, just the joy of that gift. And I want to challenge us to do that. The story, if it would end right here, it would be a really neat story, but we got to finish it out because there's some lesson in the last few verses in um, the story of Gehazi. And, but Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, verse 20, the man of God said, Behold, my master has spared Naaman the Syrian and not receiving at his hand that which he brought. But as the Lord liveth, I will run after him and take somewhat of him. So Gehazi followed after Naaman, and when Naaman saw him running after him, he lighted down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master has sent me, saying, Behold, even now there be come to me from Mount Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Give them, I pray thee, a talent of silver and two changes of garments. And Naaman said, Be content, take two talents. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver in two bags and with two changes of garments and laid them upon two of his servants and they bare them before him. And when he came to the tower, he took them from their hands and bestowed them in the house and he let the men go and they departed. But he went in and stood before his master and Elisha said unto him, Whence comest thou, Gehazi? And he said, Thy servant went no whither. And he said unto him, Went not mine heart with thee? when the man turn again from his chariot to meet thee? Is it a time to receive money, to receive garments and olive yards and vineyards and sheep and oxen and men servants and maid servants? The leprosy therefore of Naaman shall cleave unto thee and unto thy seed forever. And he went out from his presence a leper as white as snow. think of Gehazi here I believe if we would go back through the accounts we realize he had been a long time servant of Elijah Elisha and he would have seen uh, many miracles performed by Elisha and he had become like the disciples who after a while the wonder of Jesus miracles had faded and it seems that maybe when he saw the curing of leprosy it just didn't really affect him that much rather his eyes were fixed upon the wealth of Naaman. He saw that silver. He saw that gold. And it captured his heart. It held a splendor and a wonder to him that did not compare to the, the wonder of a, of a uh, leper being healed. And as he watched his master Elisha refuse all that wealth, I can just imagine the struggle in his heart. As his servant, he certainly would have probably... Uh, benefited from it but remember that the whole thing of this sermon is what happens in our minds okay what was happening in Gehazi's mind he was imagining what he could do with that money how that money would benefit him he was thinking about no longer being a servant to a poor prophet now he would become a rich farmer he would have servants under him. Instead of him being the servant, he would be the master. And he could have uh, olives. He could have grapes. He could have land. 
And this is spinning through his mind as he still sees that silver and gold vanish down the road. His heart had, it went, but his heart went with it because he had set it upon it. He was coveting it. The heart is deceitful and incredibly wicked, and it's amazing how fast our minds can work when we're bent on evil. And that's how Gehazi's mind worked. He hatched a little plan and how he's going to get some of this for himself. And he goes tearing after the chariot. And I imagine even as he was girding up his robe and running, he was mind was spinning of the little lie, big lie he was going to tell to Naaman. And he gets there, and by the time he Naaman stops and gets down the chariot, he has the story polished well. You notice how he he not he didn't he said my master. Elisha sent me. He changed his mind, and he needs a little bit somewhat. Not for me, or not for him, but for some other people that are coming. A likely story, wasn't it? It explained a lot of things. It was well thought for the little bit of time that he had. Now, of course, he had a willing suspect. Uh, Naaman was already had wanting to give something, and now he was just glad to give it. And in fact, when he asked for one, he gave him two. And he didn't just give it to him. He sent it back with his servants, which may have been a little bit of a stickiness in the plan. But he successfully hides it, and his servants go away. And he walks in front of Elisha again. Gehazi, where you been? Well, I haven't been anywhere. And that was the last thing Gehazi could say. Because Elisha told him what he knew. You know, while you were running down that road, when you were meeting that mine, I was right there with you. We don't understand fully the powers that Elisha had, but God did give him special powers. Not only did he know and see the interaction between Naaman and Gehazi, he knew what was going through Gehazi's mind. He saw those covetous thoughts. He saw the imaginations of his heart. And he laid them out before Gehazi. And, you know, we don't have an Elisha. I don't know an Elisha. Be a little scary knowing a man like that, wouldn't it? Uh, that's how Jesus was. He knew people's thoughts. But every one of us stands before God. And God does this all the time. He knows what we think. He knows our covetous thoughts. He knows our covetous dreams. And that's more scary than having a prophet that knows those things. And um, let us be honest before God and not let our, our minds run away into things we know that are wrong. And especially go to the level of Gehazi, to lie, to cheat, to, to do things that we know are wrong for the intent of personal gain. It doesn't work. It's sin. Now for Gehazi, the punishment was physical. All of a sudden, he looks down. And instead of being like Naaman, who looked down and saw beautiful, new, clean skin, he looks down and he sees white, diseased leprosy. And it wasn't just a little bit. It was white as snow. It was over, it seems like. He was a leper and everybody knew it. He went to the advanced stages of the disease immediately. Oh, may we as men 
be spared from the curse of the love of money. It's still here, and it's still grabbing our minds, and it's still causing men to sin in its attempt to get it. Oh, may we not have that love of money. Rather, we would have a love for the Lord above all else. Take away those imaginations. Take away that greed, that covetousness. Let us guard our hearts. Let us guard our minds. Because it is in the imagination of the heart. It is in the thoughts where things are born. And we live out of those thoughts. And we respond out of the things that I think. Proverbs 4 verses 20 to 27 say, in the NIV I'm going to read, My son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to a man's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart. For it is the wellspring of life. That's the phrase I'm really focusing on. Above all else, guard your heart. For it is the wellspring of life. Put away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt talk from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Make level paths for your feet and take only the ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil.